Hello and welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones and I am coming to you from the cool and airy state of Minnesota <laughs> where it's 52 degrees. Brian, where are you coming to us from? <laughs> hey, this is Ryan Parker. I'm in Los Angeles where it's currently in the high 80s and muggy and smoky because we were on fire after a 120 degree weekend. And you're under a blanket. It's so muggy in here. It's just like a it's like a a locker room at a gym in here for all our that, all our listeners. That's your own personal little um uh the 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 difference between a condenser mic and a dynamic mic is one of them I've got and you can just sit out in the open and one of them you've got and you got to sit under a blanket. So there hey, you go. I feel like I'm in Pauly, Georgia in the middle of the summer. Oh yeah, just be like a manth and just light up a cig. Ugh, just suck, gross. Just not gonna burn and cig while you're hot as can be hey, in Georgia. Hey, hey, Tony, how'd you spend your uh, Labor Day weekend? Well, we were up north at the cabin. We did some projects, uh, getting ready for deer season. We also pulled out one of the boats and the boat lift, which is the biggest beast. I mean, it's a, it's about. It's it's well over a thousand pounds. It, I mean, it's insane. We have to winch it to a tree and crank it out of the lake, and it was it's a nightmare. But then we always, you know, reward ourselves with shots of Jack Daniels afterwards. How did you uh, how did you spend your weekend? So the the Saturday and Sunday, some friends had access to a pool, so we weathered the the heat. Uh, poolside, which was uh, really a lifesaver. But so yesterday we just spent the day inside binge watching television. And I just want to do a quick plug: killer cereal, new killer cereal, something we probably won't talk about, but one that people should watch. And a little late to the party, Cobra Kai on Netflix. Oh, really? Really? The, so the, yeah, that was a YouTube original, right? It was good knowledge there. So good. Just leaning into the nostalgia and and all the best ways, while also uh, kind of kind of poking a little fun at it too. But yeah, uh, it's it's just imagine for for people who don't know, just imagine the Karate Kid, uh, where suddenly Johnny the bad guy becomes the good guy, and and Ralph Macchio's character uh, Larusso, Danny Larusso, is hey, not a villain, but he's not as likable as he once was. Interesting. It's a, lot well, of fun. it's a lot of fun. Short little 30 minute episodes. Really, really good to binge. We got about halfway through the first season yesterday. Okay. I'm going to give it a try. We, we were on, we, uh, Courtney and I, after your excellent kill, killer serial, um, recommendation of be foreigners, we got kind of on like, well, how about if we did some, you know, European crime dramas, we tried Hinterland. We watched two episodes. It is good, but it drags on. I mean, they're an hour. The episodes are an hour and 35 minutes. They obviously must have aired in, in two-hour episodes in, in the UK. And it just drags. I do. I, I mean, I like the characters, and, and it's shot in Wales, which I love. And Courtney and I both have ancestry from Wales, so we had a lot of reasons to like it. But it drags. So we switched to Broadchurch. And so people far, love that show. Really like Broadchurch. But it's funny because Cobra Kai came up on, you know, our Netflix recommended. And I asked Courtney, I'm like, hey, how about Cobra Kai? She's like, no. <laughs> she 
she wouldn't even watch the preview or whatever. So was anyways, she a uh, fan? Was she a fan of the Karate Kid films back in I the day? Not. I mean, I guess not. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a try, but but uh, I do recommend Broadchurch. It's really good uh, so far. Well, uh, cool. let's talk about the show that's uh, the real killer serial, and that's Rectify. We're going uh, episode by episode through it. We are on episode 305. We are nearing the end of season three. And uh, I, I'd say you and I both really enjoyed this episode called The Future, which it does seem, you know, it, it moved the ball down the field on several counts. And I saw a few different themes that I thought, you know, we, we could talk about, but it's interesting. I'd say the the title, the future, is obviously what's hanging over everybody is um, Daniel's, you know, expulsion from the from the community of Polly and really from the state of Georgia. It's it's right around the corner there. What they kind of mentioned that it's maybe two weeks away, but um, before that even happens, he he's been excommunicated from you know janet's home and now he's getting kicked out of the apartment complex where he's been staying with amantha so his his you know his excommunications are happening fast and furious in this episode yeah and it's such a an intriguing title because it feels this is obviously the penultimate episode of season three and it really does feel like there, and again, we don't know, but it does feel like there's going to be a bow wrapped around a lot of the lingering questions around what happened when Daniel was a teenager. It feels to me like we're going to learn a lot at the end of season three that's going to set season four up for something complete, potentially completely different. I don't know. That's just yeah. a hunch. Yeah. But obviously the title also comes from Tawny revisiting Miss Katie and uh, the home where she lived. And there's some young women there, young kids there who uh, foster kids that Miss Katie's taking care of. And she talks about with Ms. one Kathy. of those, with Rose, uh, Miss Kathy, sorry, with Rose, uh, the young girl, I believe is her name, teenage yep. girl who is yep. why says, you know, why would you ever come back here? And she says, you know, sometimes I miss being here because, you know, she, to paraphrase, she said, you know, I thought about the future when I was here. Right. And, and then Rose says, I already know that's bullshit. <laughs> like yeah. the future. <laughs> yeah. Which is, like a, which is, she sees. Down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She sees, she, well, you came back. What kind of future can there be? Right. Like, right, um, right. but we learn a little bit more about Tawny. We learned that she had a very rough, uh, a rougher than average upbringing right everybody what what does yeah. teddy say everybody has has problems and and rebecca the therapist says you know but tawny got an extra dose so yeah. there's still there's still some mystery there about what that looked like is it abuse was it neglect or both um and then also just the future of every character right not even uh, whether or not that depends on daniel and what happens to him but the future of teddy and Tawny and Teddy suddenly, you know, one of the things that that stood out to me about this episode was how powerful or how uh, far reaching the character's evolution was. So we can touch we can I might just run through these and we can talk about them. But yeah, Teddy, 
Teddy really showing some emotional intelligence, some growth in his uh, reaching out to Tawny, going to therapy by himself. Very believable, in my opinion. We can come back to that. I think about Amantha and the conversation that she has with Melvin when she says, you know, this isn't your fight. Like her her willingness to kind of distance herself from what's go- currently going on with Daniel, her ability to kind of let go. And it, it, so far to, to say to someone, look, don't get involved with this. Um, Melvin suddenly seeming to be a stronger character, um, trying to stand up to the people in the apartment complex who want to run Daniel out. There's some interesting, um, the way that scene is shot and, and the way that the characters are kind of staged. And it's interesting to see the way Melvin has kind of grown into this, you know, secondary character, but someone who's evolved a little bit. And then even, you know, Janet and, and if, if Janet was a cipher for you in mm-hmm. the first season, she is a force in this season. And the scene that she has with the waitress at the, at the diner, when she's reflecting on life with her former husband and how she seems to draw some strength from that, at least enough to go home and say to Ted and Teddy, you know, I hate what happened to you, but this is my son and he's going to come home and I'm going to help him in any way I can. She's kind of articulating her. hmm, I don't know if it's her identity, but her role as a mother in a way that she really hasn't so far. And yeah, you know what, Ryan? I think you're right. And I, I thought that same thing when she has her, first of all, I mean, we got to point out what we know as viewers that she doesn't know is that her waitress, who's, you know, she's having a little bit of a connect, a human connection with, um, which she doesn't seem to have much human connection with other people in that town. It's not like she goes to a bridge club or she's part of a church or anything, you know, this whole family has been consumed with Daniel. She hasn't even been back to this diner. It sounds like since she went there with her husband years and years ago, what she doesn't know is that this waitress has slept with the Senator and with her son. <laughs> this is waitress yeah. who's refilling her coffee, you know, and you're right. Then she goes home and has this, this monologue. In I thought it was really well written because it's like you can see her uh it's like she's she's saying it out loud for the first time and she's progressing through her argument she starts like you said by saying i'm sorry what happened to you teddy my heart breaks every time for you um every time i think of it but my heart breaks for my other son too and then she goes into this self-justification because obviously although she's talking to teddy She's in it. She's just as much addressing her husband, Ted, who, you know, is sleeping on the couch and might be moving out to Teddy's after this, after this uh, soliloquy. She says for the first time what nobody has said. He's a sick person. He's a damaged person, but he's not bad. And he's had such a raw deal in life. I'm going to help him as much as I can kind of what every mother would say like i'm i'm going to do anything i can but she's the first one to articulate that's the word you used and i thought the exact same word when i watched the scene she is articulating something that nobody in that family's had the courage to say yet and that is 
Daniel is sick and he's damaged because they all treat Daniel like he's he got a raw deal, but he's just fine. Look how smart he is. Look how much he's read, you know, et cetera. And I, I would say I even got, you know, I even got pulled into that in the first season or even two. Like Daniel's the hero. He got screwed. This show is about watching Daniel, you know, fight back from getting screwed. Like, isn't that always the storyline when somebody uh, goes to prison and then is exonerated later? Then it's all about how, you know, you're, you're feeling the victory for them and with them. But that's not how I feel toward Daniel, as I've admitted on the podcast the last few weeks. I think he's an asshole who's like absolutely stuck and cannot move forward and will not take help from anybody. We and it, and just think back, Ryan, to to the number of people we've seen over almost three seasons who've tried to help Daniel. You know, and in this episode, even the sheriff is trying to help him. But we've had right. Amantha, and we've had Leslie, and we've, I mean, we could just go down the list. We've had Melvin. We, all these people try to help him, and he basically is so broken that he can't even accept their help. And for Janet to say it, I think you're exactly right. She's no longer a cipher. Now she is, in some ways, she's, she's all of us. She's the viewer who's watching this show and is frustrated. Why cannot, why can Daniel not? progress well it's because in the words of his own mother he's a sick person he's a damaged person yeah and you've you know we, we've talked a little bit about that and about what and even and melvin says it right and this is what i was intrigued by yeah. at the start of the series that you cannot treat a human being like that uh solitary confinement that it breaks a person and i think melvin knows it through his reading janet knows it through, like you say, watching everything that's happened, she intuits it. She knows it as a mother. And to and to your point, there have been many people who've tried to help him, but they, they've been doing so maybe from the wrong perspective, where Amantha always looks at Daniel as a victim, and only that, not as someone, like you say, who has a much deeper problem than being a, a victim of a social or, or legal injustice. Yeah. That yes, he's a victim, but it, the the effects of that victimization run much much deeper. Or somebody like Sheriff Carl, up until this episode, who we thought looked at Daniel as a villain or as a potential suspect in a crime, and that's even shifted. And so I I think looking at um, it, it, Sheriff Carl really in this episode, last couple of episodes, of course, pay attention next week to see what happens, but. Talk about someone who's not been static and someone who has right. really grown throughout this the series and so much so that he almost has like you said, he almost has compassion on Daniel when he said, Look, you're not the suspect here, you're the witness. I need you to help me here. And his seemingly and admittedly unending quest for the truth of of what has happened in this town, right? And, he, and he's sitting up, and he's sitting across the table from somebody whom we know does not believe in truth. You know, <laughs> yeah, Daniel's response. That's really is, good. Oh, yeah, 
What yeah. truth? There's no truth. Like there's my memory. And as we all know, memories are, you know, you know, memories are imperfect to, to be uh, generous, if not, you know, ma- malicious or whatever, and can be used. In, in, and, you know, he basically says to Carl, what if you don't find the truth? And Carl's response, it's, it's all, there's a long pause and Carl almost is like, doesn't understand the question. Because he, he responds with, well, I'll keep searching for the truth. And Daniel's right. question is more philosophical, like, bro, what if there is no truth? And yes. Carl's like, I'll keep searching for it, even if there is no truth. I'm going to yeah, keep looking for the truth. Carl's going to be a dog on a bone. Tony, I like what and you what talk I don't, about. What I, what, well, what I don't know, too, is I just want to say, what, what I don't know and will probably never know is, how damaged was Daniel prior to the night that Hannah was killed? Because, yeah. you know, let's, if we can talk for a minute about the, another great scene with Sheriff Carl is when he goes to question Chris, a, a character yes. we're just meeting yes. for the very first time. And one of the first things, you know, he asked Chris, like, hey, other people, basically like other people who ran in your crew in high school, like with you and Daniel and Trey and George and Chris's response is, yeah, Daniel wasn't really part of that crew. Like Daniel, that's a good note. Yeah. Don't you think, and, and this will probably never be resolved, but I think there, are, I mean, if, I think if Scott, once we get Scott back on, we can ask this. Don't you think we have enough evidence to show that part of the reason that Daniel was hanged, basically, you know, metaphorically hanged for this crime is that he was the loner. He was the weird kid in high school, and he was close enough to the scene of the crime on that night. You know, there was enough of his fingerprints, either either literally or metaphorically, on the crime scene that that they could get they could they could tag it on on him, even if he didn't do it, because Chris, George, Trey, and the rest of the, you know, the cool kids at Poly High School stuck together. And even if George, after the fact, circled back uh, to folks and said, I, I want to confess her to the sheriff. I can't remember who he circled back to. They were like, no, no, we already got our man. DJ. You know, like, yeah. go, go on with your life. You're going to be fine. So I you're think... Making, you're making a couple... Saying, I, think, I think that Daniel was probably... a. I don't know that he was a sick person or a damaged person, but he didn't even go into that night where Hannah was raped and murdered as like he had his shit all together is what I'm saying. And probably, you know, being arrested and spending half his life in solitary confinement on death row only exacerbated personality traits that were already there. And now he's just plain weird just weird you know what i'm saying he's just a total oddball who doesn't fit in like kicking over a can of paint and destroying the work that he's done and he can't even explain why he did it which i'm sure is exactly what ray mckinnon why he had him kick over the paint because there are people who do stuff that they cannot explain or justify after the fact and Daniel may simply be one of those people. 
you're making a couple of narrative leaps and character leaps that are that are bold jumps, but I think there have been touch points along the way that justify those leaps. So the night of Hannah's rape and murder, and it may not have been rape. Okay. Right. The night, the night of the night that Trey and I'm, I'm, I'm laying some of these steps that you're taking the night that Trey takes Daniel to Florida, to Georgia's trailer. Yep. And the confession or the conversations about the confession on the night and going back to that night of Hannah's murder. I think you're right. I think you may be onto something. Daniel's potentially an outsider. We, we don't know how close he is to that group. Chris is, and I want to come back to talk about Chris a little bit as a character, Yeah, yeah but he's, he's totally not reliable. A, but let's just say he's right. Let's say he Daniel wasn't part of the crew. Then, of course, he's a guy that they can pin it on because he was high that night. He had taken mushrooms. He admitted to removing himself from whatever was going on. He talks about being on a hill and watching these things happen to Hannah. Uh, but let's say he's part of the crew. Uh-huh. Uh, and these three guys want to pin it on. They're not going to sell a guy down the river uh, quicker than you could blink. Right. They're going to save their own skin. Daniel's high. Maybe they're all high and they don't know what they're doing, which is why George felt bad and wanted to go back to Sheriff Pickens and confess. So I I think you're right. There's a strong possibility that Daniel is the outsider in all of this and has even Mm -hmm. from the start been more innocent than we could than we can imagine. Uh, Chris, I think, is a fascinating. What a fascinating character. Oh, my God. And how 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 just beautiful beautiful is the wrong word, but so intelligently written, richly kind of fleshed out with this actor. It's so cool to see how all these three characters and, and uh, this supposed crew uh, progressed or did not after that night. It's clear that George didn't handle it well. Okay, I mean, yeah. Let's just right. Let's Trey, just Trey. Let, let's Trey. Let's, 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 not even their dialogue or not even what they say. Let's just look at their, their homes. No, like that's what I'm Chris, saying. That's what I'm doing. Chris yeah. Trey. That's just, insane. I mean, it's a, such a contrast. You know, Trey's a uh, Trey's middling through He's successful contractor, you know, still living in a small town. He's fine. Chris went on to become a doctor. He's living in this right. huge house. Chris has got a lot to lose. Yeah. You know, and, uh, that you know, when when Sheriff Carl pulls out the mouth swab, I was like, "You better oh. ask for that attorney. You better ask for that attorney." And he does. <laughs> but but what a yeah. what a what a cool way to to without even like you said, without even relying on dialogue. The second he shows up, and the second that sheriff shows up at this man, whose house is this? And then we hear Chris, and it just your mind goes, it explodes with possibility and making all these connections. And yeah. and just thinking about the past and way and these characters in ways that that would have been totally different if Chris is just kind of like Trey or George. He has done something else with his life, and it's clear that it's come at a complete. I, I like the way you talked about memory early earlier. It has come at a at the cost of 
kind of a complete disassociation or distancing from that. To, to jump from that scene where you're right, Chris is like this very well-kempt doctor with uh, perfectly trimmed hair and a beautiful house with a picture of his family, you know, and, he, and he's got his Oxford shirt tucked in. Um, he's well-spoken and he basically, basically says, you know, without saying it, I've come along, like I've left Polly in my rearview mirror. And then you got yeah. Trey sitting down with his family to watch Squidbillies on Adult Swim. Yeah. Falls on that. We got to come back to that one. His daughter's like, Daddy, I don't like Squidbillies. <laughs> and he's like, hush your mouth. That's 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 but yeah. then as they're searching his house, this is right toward the end of the episode, he goes into this almost maniacal fake laughter at, as they're watching Squidbillies, you know, against his family's wishes and he's forcing them in this kind of run down house on a ratty old couch um you know trey can't I, even afford trey can't even afford an attorney and I, meanwhile chris is like yeah you're not getting a swab for me buddy i'm gonna lawyer up right now and you just think like now we gotta also remember that trey did not kill george and and sheriff carl is wrong in his suspicion I mean, Trey knows more, like Trey might be, um, you know, charged with a felony for disposing of a corpse or whatever it's called. Obstruction of justice, maybe? Yeah, yeah, but he did not commit murder, you know, like George killed himself. Um, And I think that part of that laughter, part of that laughter is that he knows he's innocent. But he he also knows that he's innocent, but he also knows they're about to find a, a girl scrunchie in a lockbox in my in my work shed and right. you it's know com- that is Hannah's. You know it's Hannah's. It's complex. It's he knows he's innocent of what the sheriff is trying to pin on him, but he's also not totally innocent of what of what they've been trying to pin on Daniel for twenty years, right? Well, I would take fact, had had he uh, in episode one, had he called the cops when he found George's dead body and there was ample evidence of suicide he would have he he wouldn't be under suspicion but because he floated george's body down the river and took his wallet and his gun and his keys now he will be under suspicion and maybe like daniel on the night of hannah's death he really will have no alibi hey tony here's the thing that we should do maybe this could be a fun little exercise for a bonus rectify episode. We should pick our top 10 moments from the series because I would pick this ending, uh, the ending of the last uh, couple of scenes, last couple of minutes of episode 305 is one of my favorite of the series because juxtaposed to Trey, like you say, breaking out into this kind of maniacal laughter uh, is Janet and Daniel sitting poolside, staring at the the sky, talking about going on a road trip together, and both kind of weeping. Yeah, and I thought that juxtaposition of kind of good versus evil. I know that's too simplistic, but but really the beauty of that moment and kind of the you know kind of dank, like dark interior of Trey's house, and you know cops rifling through all their stuff and of course finding the scrunchies you just said i thought that was just such a powerful way to 
to close that episode. And, and I think Trey's Sean Bridger's performance in, in that moment, I think for me was one of the highlights of the series so far because it was just, it was really chilling. Yeah. I, I would also add to that, that I think the way it's filmed at Miss Kathy's house also is very dark and uh, kind of, you know, her kitchen is a disaster and it's really cold. Uh, everything looks cold and dirty and, you know, I got to go upstairs and break up World War Three, And then they're sitting around watching TV at night. Um, you know, you, you compare that to the fan. There's a there's a little family reunion feeling around the pool as Daniel finishes his paint job. Amantha's there. John Stern is there. Janet and Jared show up. The Ted, Ted and Teddy are not there. And yeah, it's they're drinking beer. Should we cho- toast? Sheriff Carl, nope. You know, there's a couple. There's a couple little kind of humorous comic lines there. Hey, you know, Sheriff Carl isn't investigate. Doesn't think I killed George. Well, that's great news. I'll have a drink to that. You know, there's some of that. And exactly. Meanwhile, other people. You know, um, we know that Teddy's over helping repair the kitchen with Ted, and they'll probably go back. Neither of them sleeping with their wives that night. Tawny's in, you know, a foster home. Um, Trey is sitting with his family, getting his house searched by warrants. Yeah, th- that's the juxtaposition. I, I, I will say this. I did read one review of the episode that was a bit critical. And here's how it was critical. Um, and I think this is a fair point that um, everybody in Janet's family, like, she goes into Jared's room and we finally get a little bit more of Jared, which we, you know, we heard more about Jared from Scott teens last week on the podcast, but Jared's doing what? Reading a book. And Daniel's always reading. And okay, here was the point. No one in, in like, no one in that family is ever watching television. We've never seen any of them watch TV. All the other characters we see watching TV, you know, not all, but a lot. The TV's off and on, and it, it's almost like it's setting up some kind of dichotomy between this the virtuous family that reads and all of the less virtuous families that watch crappy TV. So, I mean, it, it might just be a shorthand way that Ray McKinnon is putting that into our minds, but it's... Um, That's a pretty thin critique. I'm like, who's got time know, to bother I with know. that critique? With everything else going on in the show. Also, but, I mean, Jared's in but, school. But he's, got is, he's in school. I think the point is Ray McKinnon doesn't do anything by accident. And the fact that they're watching, they're watching a cartoon at the foster home and then they're watching a cartoon in Trey's home is just, they're just he's just sending a signal like they're, they're just kind of he doesn't he's not make he doesn't no, make that's a, mistake that's right all. right hey maybe to wrap this up for the week I wonder if you had any thoughts on because I know you talked about this over the last couple of episodes and then last week with Scott on Teddy's Teddy's big scene with the therapist you know yeah. I thought there was, I, again, I, I personally thought it was, well, 
well written. I thought the kind of insight that Teddy had into his own feelings was, I mean, for him, quite profound. And, you know, talking about his discomfort with, with therapy because it brings up all the quote unquote mommy and daddy stuff and, you know, everything that's just gone on in his life and the way that he's trying, he, he does seem to be trying to be better. And, uh, and I think there, that there's a little payoff there when Janet kind of reads them, her, you know, the, their marching orders regarding Daniel, you know, Teddy doesn't really push back. I mean, he seems to at least physically or visibly accept what she's saying. Like, I understand, you know, and, uh, you know, I just don't see Teddy kind of taking that last season. Yeah, I mean, I hate to, I I don't want to make this about me, but I will say that I, uh, there was, there was a moment of, um, memory, it, it tapped a memory for me, I guess I should say it, because I remember vividly in about probably 2007 going to a marriage therapy appointment and my wife not coming Be- and me sitting down and the therapist saying like, you know, is she coming? And I said, Oh, did, did she not call you? Yeah. Yeah, she's she. I don't think she's going to be here today. So it's just the two of us. And then the, 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 this awkward moment of a, a marriage therapy appointment with only one member of the marriage there. Um, so that context, I mean, I think that is that context is something. Um, and I do agree with you. I think for Teddy to say to admit, I felt a weight off my shoulders. Like I finally felt some peace knowing that Tawny, I could say what I wanted to say basically. And he goes from saying, right, that maybe she's not the right person for me to then he kind of gets to actually, maybe I'm not the right person for her. And he's coming to peace with that, which is so interesting because I would have thought he would fight like hell to save this marriage and he's not. And I think that's some writing and and some, as as we, as you and I've said over and over again, some incredible acting. Yeah. And as Rebecca said, you know, there's a third way, like she doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know what's right for her. And maybe Teddy is, but maybe that's going to take some personal growth on both of their parts or maybe from Tawny to, to yeah, get there to where they're both yeah, able right. to be in a relationship. Yeah. You're, you're, I think you're right on the money because I, I, am glad the therapist said that to him because he, she, she's basically saying you, you know, in some ways you might look at Teddy and be like, Oh, he's the, he's the college frat boy kind of stuck it developmentally stuck. But she's saying Tawny's the one who's developmentally stuck. And of course we know Daniel is developmentally stuck. Um, and maybe that's the reason Daniel and Tawny were so attracted to one another is they're both in a state of arrested development or, or yeah. they're stuck in some kind of, they're stuck in some kind of adolescence where they had these deeply traumatic experiences in their hmm. mid to late adolescent periods and they have never moved beyond them. Right. 
Yeah, there's a part of that relationship now when you look back, you think, yeah, it is so like young adolescent college love where Tony's like, oh, he read, you know, philosophy and theology. He's smart. Like (laughs) he's he's making me feel uncomfortable, but also attracted at the same, you know. uh, Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a good take on that. As I think it's allowed us to as the as these characters have developed right as the story has progressed, it may have allowed us a clearer picture of what drew them together in the first place, like you're saying. So yeah, can't well, wait for, Ryan, cannot wait for this next episode, to be honest with you. you cannot wait. Have, I, mean, I, I don't I, know. I don't I know. That, Janet and Daniel are going to take some kind of a road trip, but I'm really most interested in, in, in Carl and Trey and that, of and, course, and, Chris of course. and that kind of thing and seeing where that goes. Okay. You're, you're asking me to know the mind of Ray McKinnon. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. But I do think I did tell Amy after the episode, I, I said, you know, I can't wait until the next one, because I do. I hope I hope that it's a. Or I hope I look forward to and hope for a really. Beautiful. Thread with with Daniel and Janet on some road trip, I would I would love that. And juxtaposing that potentially, like you said, to what's to what's going to happen with uh, with Sheriff Carl and Trey. Yeah, I mean, so. I would say that that's right. I, I think that D- Daniel and Janet on a road trip. They've is, earned it. Will, will be beautiful because yeah, they're, great, they've earned it. Yeah, they're great actors and, and it will be very poignant. But, the you know, the Carl, Trey, Chris, George love quadrangle is full. It's so <laughs> just so yes. rife with drama. You know what I'm so saying? Ready. Like, that thing's going to just blow up and shrapnel's going to get all over a lot of people. So it'll, yeah. it'll be fascinating. Maybe, maybe Trey will have to hire John Stern to be his attorney. That would be oh, awesome. No. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, no. I can't, I can't scenario. believe we're, I can't believe we're <laughs> at the end of season three. What a, yeah. What a yeah. journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to all of you who are going through this with us. We'd love to hear from you if you've got any thoughts um, or feedback from the podcast, but we appreciate your support. And we will be back next week with 306, the end of season three. Until then, have a great week. week. Stay safe and wear your mask. Take care. Bye-bye.